welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. Tom, you are with me again. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We uh, promised everybody this will be a shorter episode than last time. Uh, I hope you weren't too bored by the time we got done with the the two hour, almost two hour episode on. Uh, it was supposed to be just on the Fifth Element, but it ended up being the Picard and the Fifth Element episode. It's a fantastic talk. Absolutely, it was a lot of fun to talk about. And especially with the Picard and, you know, next gen and Picard, I think you and I could fill hours talking about that period. We did. We did that before there was things called podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Many late at night um, were spent talking about episodes and characters and things that were going on. And of course, the lots of, you know, what they should have done was (laughs) (laughs) lots of not getting home till 6 a.m. because. We're talking geek talk all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's not a whole lot to talk about this time around. There wasn't a whole lot of news last time, and there's not all that much news this time. And we do have, unfortunately, and this seems to be something that's happening almost every time we record, unfortunately, is we lost another fantastic actor, at least in my book anyway. Brian Dennehy passed away uh, since the last time we recorded. He was uh, 81 years old. He was a, God, he was like, uh, talk about a presence, just because, if nothing else, because of the guy, just the way the guy was built. I mean, yeah. Was like, <laughs> yeah, a little hard to miss. Yeah. Uh, I remember catching him when, gosh, when I was, when would the movie, remember the movie FX? Did you ever see yes, FX? Yes, that was the first time I could solidly say I saw a Brian Dennehy movie. I I think that was probably my first Brian Dennehy movie was was FX. And then uh Silverado, Silverado was another yeah. one. Yeah, remember let me ask you cuz I seem to be I feel like I'm always on on, the, on kind of the uh, outside of this one. Do you like Silverado? I can't say that I did. <laughs> no, all right. See? Yeah. I find more people that don't than do. I actually really enjoy that movie. <laughs> I, I, I'd even have to kind of touch back on it to remember a lot of it. But then again, you know, uh, I'm getting old. <laughs> well, tune in for that future episode of the Time Shifters podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is how we'll reintroduce that to Tom. Yeah. Brian Dennehy, was, uh, he's been acting for such, well, it seems like forever, and then, of course, like he was in First Blood. He was in Cocoon. That was another. That was a, a, a probably yeah. maybe one of his biggest films. 
just real unfortunate. It was just one of those, again, it, it's one of those actors where you see his name pop up in the credits. You're like, oh, hey, cool. Brian Denny's in this. Yes, he was a character actor, but it was always kind of still the same character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because when you're that kind of guy with that kind of presence, when you walk on, it's hard not to be kind of the center of attention, even if you're just an extra character. Right, exactly. Well, and he had a uh, sort of, his demeanor, uh, regardless of the role he played, he just had a sort of casualness about it, about himself, that I just, I, I don't know, I just found myself kind of drawn to. <laughs> it just seemed I, like the easygoing guy. <laughs> he did, but uh, he seemed like um, there was a tremendous amount of experience in whatever he did or said. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, very, yeah. So very there was point. authority, even when he was being casual, you... You listened to what he had to say. Yeah. And I like him, too, because he's one of these actors. I've seen him as the good guy and the bad guy and loved him in either one, in either role. And he, he And he could do either role, and you still bought it. You know, I don't know if you could ever... I don't know if I've ever seen him be truly, like, camp evil. Sure. Because, like, going back to, like, Silverado, he was the bad guy, but he was kind of like the... I'm the bad guy, but I'm the polite, I'm the nice, I'm the cordial bad guy. Which right. is the kind of bad guy I love the most anyway. <laughs> you know, I find those bad guys the most frightening. The one that could be the good guy too, in his, at least in his own mind. <laughs> exactly. Those are the bad guys that think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, as they say, no one, uh, no one who we would consider a bad guy went into it thinking he was the bad guy. He's the hero in his story. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so very unfortunate. So, uh, you know, thoughts go out to, his, to all his, uh, his family and friends and, you know, all his fans. Uh, but yeah, that's all the news I really had. Um, I was trying to think there's anything else that's been going on or anything that I've been catching or anything I've been watching. I, I think I mentioned to you before, I did watch um, The Boys on Amazon Prime. Yes. I don't think I talked about it on the show, though, yet. No, and I, I had seen that, that series back in the summer, I, I know, shortly after it came out. Yeah, I finally caught up to it, and I, I watched the entire series. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was good. I, I actually really liked that, and but I like Carl Urban, too, so... Yeah, um, and that was kind of why I decided to tune into it. I, I heard about it, but it's for some reason that just wasn't clicking to me that Carl Urban was in it. And I think it might've been you or someone else reminded me of that. I'm like, Oh, well then I'll watch it. I'll tune in and check him out. You know, I'll, yeah, I'll watch him do just about anything. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah. I thought it was good. There's, there's characters that I really like and, so, but there sometimes I'm watching characters I really like and like why why would you why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I I mean what I liked is the overarching idea behind it. Not that mm -hmm. it hasn't been done in various versions before. Even DC has its own twisted version of the Justice League. Right. Um not speaking of the Legion of Doom, the the alternate world version but uh um i liked their take on it the idea that they were they were supposed to be good guys but they're corporate good guys mm -hmm. and they're not that great yeah i definitely see a lot of uh watchmen influence and sure. yeah. could almost see this as kind of like a 
a Watchmen and a little bit of uh, DC's Kingdom Come kind of merged together. Okay, Kingdom yeah. Come had a lot of you know the superheroes that didn't have anybody to really uh, rein them in. Well, and it was that sense of uh, reality and darkness just kind of set in, so there were no squeaky clean good guys anymore. Exactly. So yeah, it's it was interesting. I'm assuming it's going to come back for another season. Um, yes, yes, it's due for a new season. I think that's even due out this summer if all goes well. Okay, and so I will most likely tune in at least to to, to check out and see what goes on. I do find uh, the the lead actress. Oh, what's her name? The uh, can't think, even think of her superhero name. Stardust or whatever her name is. Yeah, no, I. I, I, I it's been since summer since I watched it, so yeah, I didn't commit her com- her uh, her character name to memory yet. <laughs> oh, if only we had magical things that could we could look these things up. You mean like how I'm scrolling through the internet right now, trying to? <laughs> That's what I did. That's exactly what I just did. Erin Moriarty is the actress's name. Yes, uh, she is adorable. There's just not another Indeed. word for it. Well, and she's that character in there. Uh, She's the one you're rooting for. You're pulling. Starlight. That was close. I said Stardust. Starlight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because she's the, um, like you said, there's no squeaky king superheroes, but she's the one trying to be. And so, yeah, you're kind of rooting for her to come out on top of all this stuff and and not sink to the depths that all these other heroes, quote unquote, have fallen. It's a great cast, and it's an interesting premise. Uh, Just... um, in the end, I just kind of thought it was done pretty well. Didn't wow me, but it was it was interesting. I, I was fairly wild. I, I I enjoyed it thoroughly, and I like to say whatever the idiosyncrasies are, there's room to improve and yeah, make it even yeah. better. Oh yeah, there's definitely got room to grow. And it's, if it's you know the first season, we, like we were saying before, you know you got to give things a little bit of breathing room. You can't judge it really on those first few episodes. Nothing newish that I've been watching. I keep diving in every now and again a little bit to an old uh, 60s uh, spy series that came out of the UK called Danger Man. Yes, I saw that you were watching that. Yeah, starring Patrick McGowan, which is why I started to watch it, because it's Patrick McGowan, because I was a big fan of him and his uh, role as the prisoner on The Prisoner. It's fun. The first season is like, 30-some episodes long, but they're only like half-hour episodes. So they're little half-hour stories. So it keeps everything really tight. And I kind of really like that. Yeah. And season two, three, and four are all uh, set for like an hour length. So they come into like 50 minutes or something like that. So I actually jumped ahead and watched a uh, one of the season two 50-minute uh, episodes. And yeah, I found myself, it was good, but it's kind of like, wishing it was only the 30 minutes <laughs> you like it on a tight timetable huh i do uh, i i appreciate the show though because of some of the detail that they actually put into some of the show some of the stories some of the directions there was one in particular that i was really impressed with they set this conversation decided it was going to be on a uh, a bistro you know on on a riverside in Paris or something like that. It's winter, so everyone's, you know, bunching up their coats, trying to, you know, depicting that they're cold and everything. And you know this is on a soundstage. Right. But they're all bundled up, and they're throwing their collars up and everything, sitting there trying to make it look cold. And then I noticed there's a wind machine going, so their hair is blowing. 
that's actually a really nice touch that they didn't need to do, but they did because they were supposed to be outside. I'm like, all right, I'm impressed. <laughs> Just little things like that. Yeah, no, when uh, when a smaller production takes the time to do um, big production kind of stuff, watch for the details, it, it, it's well appreciated. Oh, I know what I watched that surprised the heck out of me. Yeah, Werewolf exactly. on Wheels. <laughs> I can't say I'm familiar with that one. You dig up some of the more interesting stuff I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was 1971. It doesn't star anybody that I would have ever recognized or knew. It was just one of these things that pops up on Amazon Prime, you know, based on because you watched this. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I, I checked it out. Oh, it was surprisingly entertaining. I mean, again, like I was talking about uh, with the Danger Man, but it ended up being a much bigger production. I was expecting something really dirt cheap and done real, you know, from the hip. This was actually a much better production than I would have ever expected. And it actually turned into a pretty entertaining film. I think the last few minutes of the film, like the last 10, 15, is kind of like a WTF is going on uh, kind (laughs) of thing. But it's a fun ride to get there. Werewolves and a motorcycle gang. I mean, it's worth checking out. If you have Prime... You are, and I do... uh, um. And for those out there that also, I, I I think I might have to check this out. Maybe we need to make this a future episode. Yeah, yeah, I would not, I would not be opposed to that. It just ended up being. Oh, and I know, I tell you what, I'll see if I can't get uh, Nick Brown to join us again because he's a huge werewolf fan. He's an author oh, yeah. of Werewolf for Hire. He he writes werewolf novels, you know. So I, if he hasn't already seen this. Uh, I know it's something he'll be interested in seeing. So I will, I will reach out to him and see if. Uh, he has seen it. If you'd like to watch it again, and he'd like to join and talk about it, I think that sounds like a fantastic idea. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely talk about that again, or talk about that at some point. All right. Well, that's. I'm kind of rambling. I'm just trying to find anything to fill the, the space, uh, <laughs> fill a little bit of time yeah. here at, the, at the, the front end of the show. So, I, unless you've got anything. Um, well, uh, it, to cover what I have been uh, revisiting uh, lately. Uh, I've been uh, retouching on uh, Eureka. Oh, uh, fun. Yeah, I dive into that every now and again. Yes. No, uh, Eureka is just one of those really fun. Um, I got all the way. The first season's amazing and sets such a good tone. Mm-hmm. And, and that actually made the start of the second season almost a bigger cliffhanger than the end of the first season. because. <laughs> Because the change in tone, the, the the kind of darkening of the mood right out of the gate was, uh, I, I had forgotten that, and I, I find I enjoy it, but uh, I, just like I remember from the first time watching it, I'm like, what happened to my, my shiny, happy little town? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I find I'm fi- enjoying that quite a lot, and then feeding off of that uh, Patrick Stewart interview with Will Wheaton on the uh, Ready Room off of Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole, the world needs Star Trek. Uh, so I found myself uh, getting back into Enterprise. Oh, excellent. Good. Yeah, I'm finding uh, that whole, 
having that hopeful start to our voyage into a better future it's just really kind of refreshing right yeah. now yeah I, I just I just wish that fourth season was that was the first season <laughs> <laughs> see uh, as I'm watching rewatching the first season I like the first season more than I thought I did hmm. uh, just because it's that whole humanity getting its lumps getting into the into the bigger universe yeah 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 it's a lot of fun watching that yeah, excellent, good. Yeah, the, I I enjoyed the series right from the start. Uh, I was glad it lasted as long as it did. And there's a lot of things about it that people ding it for that I don't mind too much. So, I, but I I know I'm again as as almost always it seems I'm on the outside on that. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you on this one. Uh, I and uh, it's such a solid prequel to uh, to everything. It sets a good tone. Um, it feels right for where they sat it mm-hmm. in a Star Trek timeline. I didn't know you were uh, watching Eureka. I didn't know you were a fan of that from the uh, in the in the first place. Didn't but, I give you a few of the comic books? Did you? I don't recall. I have to look to see if I've got any. I don't recall. I, th- I thought I dug up a few and handed them to you. No, I don't. <laughs> You'll recall. have to check it out. I will if I if I if I have them. I'll, I'll definitely uh, check them out. Yeah, no, I've always loved that show. That was one of the ones that my wife and I really enjoyed watching. It's one of the few shows that would show up on Sci-Fi Channel that you know my wife would actually watch with me. <laughs> but it was yeah, no, uh, I watched a few episodes with my girlfriend, and she's like, "You do know this is a soap opera, right?" <laughs> a little bit, but it's a comedic like, soap opera. Uh, yeah, you're not entirely wrong, yeah. but. But it's still really enjoyable. I think it's neat. You go back and watch that premiere. You could tell that they weren't quite sure what the tone of the show was going to be. Because the premiere is actually a little more serious. I mean, it it could definitely take it in a much more serious tone as a launching pad. And they decided to bring in more humor and stuff. And uh, you read up on it. Apparently, the original premise of the show, they were thinking of actually doing an animated series. Really? Yeah, yeah. The original one that in the early stages of of Eureka, they were going to do it animated, and then that slowly fell away. And then they uh, they they did the premiere, and like I said, they w- still weren't really sure what they were going to do with it. And then uh, I guess by the time they actually went into production with the series, they um, they decided to okay, let's go with this and set this tone, and they hit the ground running. I think in that first season. It's actually one of those, as I rewatch it, I noticed that maybe they never really figured out what it was that they were trying to do, <laughs> but they still stumbled into some really good television along the way. I mean, it's one of those where it's still, um, it's serialized enough that you can enjoy a standalone episode, yeah, yeah. but there's enough backstory to t- tie a season to a single thread. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it's just, it, it's really entertaining. Although it's hard to see Colin Ferguson as the Maytag man now. Yes. It's a little it's a little sad to see him as the Maytag man. <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> You've been demoted, dude. <laughs> yeah. And to plug you go back to the uh the interview archive, there's at least two or three interview uh, phone interviews with him uh that I did and where we talked about Eureka uh usually in between uh seasons, you know, talking about the what's coming up next, you know, in the next season of Eureka and everything. And those were a lot of fun. He was really gracious to give us some, you know, keep giving us time. You know, he gave us, you know, 
30, 40 minutes or whatever of his time wow. to uh, to talk on, on the phone. So it, was, it ended up being a lot of fun. And that was a series that in the end, it's kind of like the, the final seasons are rolling around. It's kind of like, yeah, you can tell they're kind of running out of steam, but you still tuned in because you just really enjoyed all the characters. You wanted to see yeah. what they were going to do. You just, you love the actors. You did. Uh, and, and the characters that they had developed, and you just kind of wanted to hang out with these people. Yeah, You wanted to be cool enough to live in Eureka, smart enough to, to live in Eureka. And, and that's, I think, one of the things that really draws me to it is the fact that these are, this is a town of intellectuals. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of like the idea that someone somewhere was celebrating knowing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now you kind of make me want to go start watching that again. It's never enough time to watch everything I want to watch. Yeah, Eureka's great. It's still my, uh, the, the theme song is still my ringtone on my phone. <laughs> I actually switched oh, I, it off for a little bit, uh, used something else. I was actually using the Warehouse 13 uh, Farnsworth uh, noise, <laughs> which is another yes. series that I really enjoyed. But yes, uh, no. I started talking to someone about Eureka, and then I, uh, I ended up going back and, like you, you know, started watching a few episodes. I'm like, that's got to come back to my ringtone. <laughs> It's one of those that you know now that you've everybody's got that skip the uh, the opening credit sequence uh, on their thing. Mm. Uh, when I'm watching Prime, I don't ever skip the theme. Oh no, no, I never do that. No, <laughs> I don't do that. I don't think I did that on any show. They, I, I didn't notice that. I saw you could skip the ads now, but I didn't notice you could skip opening credits. But I wouldn't do that mm. anyway. There's a few after you've heard it a thousand times. It's okay <laughs> to move on, but that's not one of them nope. that I do. All right, well, I think this is as good as time as any to take a little break here and uh, play another promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we are going to look at, I believe it was 1977's The Car. like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. Evil has visited the Earth in many forms. Now it returns as the car. 
was no driver in the car. The car possessed. I know why he didn't go into the cemetery. The ground was hallowed. Streets of a remote county in Utah are terrorized by a crazed driver. Cyclists, hitchhikers, and even the town sheriff are run down in the street. Deputy Sheriff Wade Parent, played by James Brolin, is left in charge to put a stop to this. He and his department, along with an alcoholic police officer, Ronnie Cox, a wife-beating demolition expert, R.G. Armstrong, and his schoolteacher girlfriend, Kathleen Lloyd, discover that there may be more to these vehicular homicides. Is it a phantom, a demon, or the devil himself? There's nowhere to turn, nowhere to hide, no way to stop the car. You enjoyed that way too much. I found that that was on the uh, Wikipedia, that last line was on the Wikipedia poster. And I, I saw that and saw the poster like, I need that poster. It was either poster or it was a newspaper ad or something. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> the, this was quite the film to revisit. <laughs> yeah, and this was your idea. So I wanted to ask you... Mm-hmm. Um, what brought you back to the car? Why did you want to revisit this one for the show? What we keep revisit or uh, talking about every time that uh, we we meet for our podcast here is uh, where did you first see it? What keeps coming up again and again and again is the good old days of my youth and Channel Nineteen and their their Saturday matinees, and that's where I would have caught the car and. Uh, you t- tag that with the fact that I've been listening to Stephen King's Christine and rewatch that film. I was in the mood for a good possessed vehicle movie. <laughs> and you decided to watch the car instead. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, let, let's be fair. But watching it again, I, I, I still I, I, I like it. You know, I I know I I like it too, but I do think there is a lot of nostalgia in that because, like yourself, and this may be, I mean, and for a lot of people, I imagine it was because it played a lot on everyone's local UHF channel. You know, like you said, here in Cincinnati was WXIX Channel Nineteen, and yeah, they were just a UHF. It was, this was before 
There was lots of, you know, affiliates vying for time. In the afternoon, they would just find whatever and anything they could to fill the airtime. And the car was apparently an easy, easy sell. <laughs> and so they would, uh, they'd air that. And so it was probably a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. And it, like a lot of people, was probably one of the first, if not the first, quote-unquote, horror film that that we saw. Uh, certainly the first actual, like, made-for-the-big-screen kind of horror film. So, yeah, there is a lot of nostalgia there. I remember being, as a kid, watching this. I was amazed at how much I remembered from this, even after not watching it for ages. Because, first of all, let me say, I, I, when you mentioned it, I... Uh, it was offline. You mentioned you wanted to record it. And I said, oh, yeah, I've got that on DVD or Blu-ray or something. I don't. I swore I did. I swore I had it. I, I could almost picture it in my head, you know, me holding it. I think I must have had the VHS that came out in, like, 99 or something like that. Because uh, I, I, I know the artwork. I recognize I had the artwork in my head and being in my hand. But I think I must have had the VHS. And you know, I got rid of the VHS in 2000. 2003, something like that. So it's been a long time since I've watched this one. Uh, but I was amazed at how much I still remembered from this one. Uh, but the only stuff I didn't remember was a lot of the, oh, you know, Ronnie Cox is the alcoholic, you know, the demolition expert that's beating his wife. You know, it's things like that. Um, the fact that uh, uh, James Brolin's dating, you know, the school teacher. That's the stuff I didn't remember. But when it came down to the car and all the scenes with the car, I, I probably, if I was better of an artist, I could have drawn you those scenes. My experience with it is when I saw it in the 1980s. That's the last time I saw that one. Oh, really? But wow. That, but the image of that car and the things that it did in the movie uh, has stuck with me always. Yeah, no, I, I I find myself kind of drawn to it. The one bit, and I, I realized the reason why, uh, because it was edited out of a lot of uh, television airings, was when it does the little flip and destroys the the line of police cars on the road. Yeah, that I didn't re I didn't remember, and it turns out because I've always seen this on TV, and that was excised out from the from the prints on TV. I hadn't even realized that. Yeah, it was. I didn't know until I was kind of reading up on it that that, you know, edited for television bits, uh, they added more dialogue and took out like scenes like a couple of scenes, a little extended, uh, a couple of scenes that would have like, extended some of the action and, and the, some of the terrorizing of people. Like you're pointing out, the underlying stories between the characters was the stuff that was forgettable. It's still whatever they left on TV. That car is just completely memorable. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, honestly, I kind of liked it. I kind of like it better without the, you know, doing the barrel roll and taking out the police cars and then not having a scratch on it. Because I feel like the movie's kind of building. There's no answers as to what this thing is. No, really, not even until the end. And then you can, you can, you, and you can take the end as, as however you want. Except for that scene is like, oh, okay, there is definitely something supernatural going on here because a car can't do that and come out unscathed. So up to that point, this could have been some madman in a custom car. 
It, it, it could. Uh, and actually, it's funny that you point out that scene, too. Uh, um, if you watch it carefully, the stunt car that they use to even do that is horribly mangled on the way yes. out of the flip. <laughs> and yes. then it's fine when it lands yeah. and it goes all Dukes of Hazard on you. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, it took you out of the moment. Like, if they had managed to pull that off and left the car pristine, even though you knew that wasn't couldn't have happened, it would have felt better somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's that's the effects of 1970s. <laughs> I guess we you know we always talk about some of the stars. We might as well talk about the car because that is kind of the biggest star of this film. I think. Uh, I think you talk to just about anybody who's seen this film, they'll take a, a few seconds before the, they could tell you who, quote-unquote, starred in the movie, but they'll know about the car. They'll uh, know about the car uh, the the car designer, too. Yes, this was a George Barris creation. I didn't realize that. That's awesome. This is the guy that brought us a 1966 Batmobile. Is probably his most famous creation. But he also did the uh, the Munster Coach. The Munster Coach. Um, uh, he did the Monkeys car. Uh, he did the Dragula, going back to the Munsters there. If he wasn't uh, completely responsible for it, he still worked on it. Uh, he worked on some of the modifications to Kit and Knight Rider in the latter seasons. Yep. He helped work on the Wagon Queen family truckster from National Lampoon's Vacation. <laughs> 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 yeah, so everybody knows his work. Yeah, whether you know the name or not, in fact, coincidentally, um, because I let my son watch a good hunk of it. Uh, Well, not let. He just kept coming out of his room to see what was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he got fascinated with the car, and we started looking it up a little bit. And uh, interestingly enough, you can find it as like a, uh, uh, what are those, metal cars, uh, the toy cars, uh, oh, can you? You can. Uh, it'll run you about $100. Um, oh, so you can't. <laughs> <laughs> kind of can't. To find the car, it is called, at least on the box of anything that uh, they they sell it, it's called the Barris car. Oh, nice. Yes. No, so that's uh, how I got to dig in a little more on George and all the other creations, and, like... But yes, that car that I, if if you could park it in my driveway and let me take that anywhere I go, I still would. That thing has <laughs> such presence. The yes. face on the front end of that thing, even though there's no actual face, there's no way that thing is not staring you down when you're standing in front of it. Yeah, apparently the car was based on a Lincoln Continental Mark III. And I think what I read is they uh, they lowered the roof line by about three inches and then raised the fenders about the same. So you effectively have a giant black slab mm-hmm. <laughs> tearing down the road. But it's so effective. It, and I think just because you couldn't place it. I mean, there is no... You couldn't sit there and go, oh, well, that's that's a Lincoln. Right. You know, it, it, there's, nothing, there's nothing Lincoln left about it, I guess. Not entirely, oh. no. Uh, and then you add the uh, dual chrome bumpers on the front and the back. Mm-hmm. And, like the, the thing just looks like it's meant to mess with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and those giant wheels that it ends up have that it that it has. Yes. Which they do an expert, a fantastic job in filming of the car. 
uh, some of the, uh, the, the, the camera this inches from the road where it's just, all you see is the wheel mm-hmm. turning in the dirt and things like that. Like, man, that's, that's effective. <laughs> and, and I mean, this stuff date predates Steadicam. So they were getting some really nice beauty shots of that thing in action. It's funny where this uh, also crops up in other pop culture though. Um, mm. How's that? Uh, during one of the um, Simpsons Halloween specials, uh, oh, of course, the, the Simpsons. the the car <laughs> The car is chasing down Millhouse at the opening credits in uh, an episode. Uh, similarly, uh, Futurama. Uh, they did an episode where the Bender character becomes a wear car, and he oh, turns into right. the car. <laughs> I remember that. The only difference is, is he gets a little red beep, beeper thing at the front of his... <laughs> his little antenna is sticking up at the front, and that's it. But, yeah, no, so the, for being just a little uh, demon car movie from the, uh, from the late 70s, uh, it's managed to weasel its way in here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And to go along with a fantastic-looking car, I do have to... Th- say that the 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 stunt driving that they actually employed with this thing i think was really effective and a fan they did a fantastic job and it just goes to show i mean you were talking about a lincoln continental this is not a small car this does not look like a nimble vehicle but whoever they had driving this thing he i think he could have threaded a needle with the thing very much so. Uh, now, I don't know if it was because of the copy I was watching or something, but I did keep noticing it wasn't that they weren't driving these vehicles fast, but I swear, uh, unless it had something to do with the copy that I was watching, they did a little trick of the camera work to speed it up a little bit more. So this is already a car going fast, and they've sped up the film to make it go even faster. It's possible. I'm sure they did that a couple times, especially in some of the long shots where you they, you want to see it tearing down the, the Utah road, but you don't want to wait for it to actually drive the 10 miles that you're filming. Yes. <laughs> so you got <laughs> you to crank the camera a little faster to get that, get it soon, a little here, here a little sooner. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yes, to your point, uh, that I, actually, speaking of the stunt driving, because uh, one of the things that really stood out for me the, the police force in this little town is, is hodgepodge at best. Um, yes. <laughs> but they all drive like experts. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a scene when they're all going after uh, the car. They think they've got it cornered somewhere. Um, and they're, they're all peeling in from everywhere. And there's two cop cars coming from different roads and they're turning in toward each other to stay on the same road together side by side. And they're the ones that die in the little flipping Mm -hmm. accident. But those two expertly thread this on ramp to to both be side by side in a tight turn. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Damn. You guys don't, you can't manage to get your shit together out in the field, but you can drive like nobody. (laughs) One of the scenes where I think it really highlights some of the stunt driving and you know, being able to control this this slab of a car is the uh, the graveyard scene. Yes, when it's terrorizing the the school teachers and the marching band after they they get in and it, it can't cross the line into the hallowed ground as we come to find out, and it's 
terrorizing and, and, and doing the, uh, you know, kind of like trying to speed up and stopping right before the entrance. And it's literally getting mad and angry. I mean, you can feel it. You can see it uh, and doing the, the, the spin outs, uh, the back and forth on the spin outs and, and going, doing the little 360s and or the 180s, I should say. I'm like, that's impressive for a car that big to be able to whip it around like that. But I'm, I'm sure the engine, whatever they had in there, I wonder if that was like the stock Lincoln engine. I'd be surprised if it was. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> well, I don't know. They put some pretty massive engines, so it's all about how you tune it, I guess. But between, uh, between the way they, uh, they built this car, the look of the car, and the way that it's handled, I mean, I liken that scene to a... Uh, like a predator cat just trying to get to its prey. I mean, that thing, the way that it would start and stop and then it went around the cemetery, like mm-hmm. it needs to figure out how to get in. Uh, so this thing is just hunting them and being put off by the invisible field of uh, being hallowed ground that uh, that, that was. And, and, and yes, in at that point, that's the first time in the film where you might get a sense of the supernatural about it. Um, yeah. Up to that point, it could have been any nut. Um, but this is the point where, why isn't it just going to go through? Well, there's more mm-hmm. to it than that. Just uh, reading this, um, Barris actually created four cars uh, for the filming. Let's see. They had three cars for stunts, and then the fourth was for all the beauty shots and the close-ups. And that the, that fourth car is in a private collection somewhere. I don't know who has that, but can, can, can I drive it? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I, I don't care if anybody knows I'm in it. I just want to be in it and drive down the street so that people are looking at it. <laughs> yeah, don't you want to? Because you know there would be people that would be staring and being very uncomfortable with that thing and the way that, that engine... If that engine sounds anything like it does in the film... And, the, and, the straight pipes and the oh my god and the way that thing is designed to look and if it sounds like it did i mean uh you don't have to see the film and if that comes down the road you're gonna be uneasy looking mm-hmm. at that yes. car <laughs> yes because it's staring at you <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of the effects that i really liked uh when we don't know if anyone or who is driving this car but we get the shots from inside the car while it's hunting um Mm -hmm. and when you're inside it uh i mean it shows through the windshield in a reddish tone um it's almost alien uh you're not you you don't even feel good when you're watching as the car because no it's 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 a very uneasy color scheme inside the car yeah uncomfortable and then kudos to whoever thought of sticking a semi horn (laughs) on that thing one of the uh one of the um the cars that uh, you can buy somebody customized it to actually put the sound of the engine and the horn in it you may have only saw this film when you were a kid or something on tv Mm -hmm. or like billy flynn you saw it at the (laughs) drive-in you know with your parents um it's such a memorable you you can pick it out yes. you go oh you you know that car you know the sound you know you you've heard that horn you've had that horn in your head you know 
blaring in your head. You've maybe even done it in traffic, you know, or going through a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> but it never sounds quite the same when you've got your little, you know, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, in fact, re-watching this, especially since it has been decades since I've watched it, the first time the the horn went off on the car, I got that tingle <laughs> that, that I remember when I heard it from the first time. I'm like, oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> and when you think about it, if you ana- analyze the whole film, not scary, uh, intimidating. Yes. Yeah, but I will say, though, for a... a movie about a giant killer car, they do manage to actually throw in a couple jump scares. Yes. What I would consider jump scares. What was your favorite? There, there's there's two that jump out. <laughs> jump scares. <Huh>. Ah. <laughs> I, I made a pun, didn't even mean to. The big chase, when they think they've got it cornered, they're, they're, they're going up the... The one guy's yes. chasing him, and they're going up the, the dead end. They're going up the bluff. So he knows, oh, he's, he's boxing himself in. He's going up. And you're from the driver's view on the uh, police car you're like over his shoulder and so you're just seeing the road and you're seeing the curve of the road you're seeing the wall of it and he turns a corner bam the car's right in front heading the other direction heading how it turned around him. no way there's no not enough room on this road for this car to have turned around but it actually managed to go around the bend and turn around and now it's coming the other direction just as this guy's turning the bend like wow <laughs> that was awesome and very effective because yes, that that was a fantastic jump scare. But then they laid it on even more because uh, the the cop pulls over and, and uh, he's uh, he's gonna get out of the car uh, to confront this guy because he's he's swerved, but he's gonna confront this guy because he's got a gun. Um, mm-hmm. And he goes to open the door, and the car just nudges the door closed. Yes. <laughs> Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's just another bit of this really good stunt driving because, I don't know, that might be where someone, they didn't have the engine actually running. They just had it in neutral and they had someone pushing it or something because right. it's so gentle and the way they just slide the door, there's no, the way it just it just comes up and just gently touches the door and then just keeps pushing the door. There's nothing like mechanical about it no <laughs> it's so fluid no it, it might as well be a man's hand just gently closing that door mm-hmm. you felt like there's a presence there Th- this was being done uh confidently deliberately but gently yes right up until what happened next <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first what i would consider a jump scare for this film mm-hmm. uh Maybe another one where the headlights suddenly flip on uh, down from a dark street, but you kind of see that one coming. You know there's something going on. I think the other one that's really effective, though, is when um, James Brolin goes into his garage. Yes. And he just walks into his garage. He's, he's getting ready to get on his bike. Uh, oh, I forgot something. So he goes into the garage to grab something, and suddenly he turns around, and the car's in the freaking garage. Right. The locked garage. Yes. <laughs> also very effective. And again, the kudos to their director uh, for managing to shoot that scene. It was shot so you don't see the car. So either the car wasn't there and just suddenly appeared, or they shot it so well and so quick that you didn't notice. I'm not sure. But it, whatever trickery and magic they spun, it worked. 
you're pointing out the driving technique. Um, it's an oversized garage. There's some room in there, but there's what? Maybe four to six feet between the front end of the car and the door. And every mm. time James Brolin goes for it, the car guns at him and never it stops inches from the door. Yeah. Stops inches from the door, forcing him to get away. Uh, yes. And just keeps intimidating him and then backs up <laughs> uh-huh. here. Yeah, try it again. Try it. Go again. ahead. Try it again. <laughs> Go for it. Come on. Just like you said, it's, it's almost not a horror film. It's just an intimidation film. Yes. <laughs> it's a, I put it more in the category of thriller. Thriller? Suspense? Yes, yes suspense, absolutely. Thriller. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, there's no overt gore. Um, most of it's implied. You're not deeply terrified because, happily, it's not happening to you. Right. <laughs> uh, so it's not quite that visceral, but but you just feel like, I'm glad this is happening to them and not me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad this is in Utah right. and not Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Can only imagine uh, uh, taking that car and watching it go ape shit in the city. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it would never survive trying to get around uh, I-75 traffic. <laughs> Watch as uh, the car sits in hours of traffic. <laughs> you'd, you'd, you'd get lots of those, you know, tires squealing, spinning out, going two inches. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, since we're talking about the nature of this car and all that, um, one of the things that stands out for me in the film, though, is just why. <laughs> the Yeah. The, there is the, no reason. There is no reason. And, and that's kind of fun. But, I mean, I think after years of other films going at least and trying to uh, give you a reason for this thing to be there... Just the fact that out of nowhere, this particular town, with no one specific, there there doesn't seem to be a catalyst for why this has shown up. Yeah, uh, no. It's just torturing these. But equally, it's got a thing for the James Brolin character, but again, you have no idea why. Like, it wiped out five cops. It's got James Brolin dead to rights on a fallen motorcycle, and it decides to mess with him. Instead of just kill him. It definitely shows there's intelligence and it's it's choosing its victims. Uh, like uh, when it shows up on the uh, on the street in the middle of town and, and the sheriff goes out to confront it and the car goes tearing down the street, swerves around the wife beater on his way to the bar and then runs down the sheriff. There's reasoning there. There is. I, I can live without it. I like it without it, but... Uh... It just begs the question, I guess that's the tease in it all, is like, why mess with James Brolin's character? What what what, mm. what made him the guy that we're just... I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to play with my food with this one. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good question. I, I, because the script said so, I guess, is the only real answer. Uh, because they didn't set him up to be like... Oh, he's the best guy in the town, or yeah. anything like that. He's just—he's just a guy. He um, is. He's divorced. He's raising his two daughters. He's dating. He's yeah. trying to figure out how to introduce and how to work his his girlfriend into the lives. You know, I guess he's been trying to keep it a secret that he's dating their teacher, but they know. And you got a lot of that kind of stuff going on. And but none of that 
plays into why the car would taunt him. There's no because he's the best, because, oh, everyone loves him. Uh, no, nothing like that, especially when you, we've, you're kind of building up the idea that this car is demonic. Right. And, you know, it, it's choosing to go after the good guy versus, you know, running the, the, the easy mark of the, uh, the wife abuser. Still a little, I'm still a little bothered the fact that the wife abuser turns out to be one of the heroes in the film. <laughs> that That's a little problematic. And, and the funny thing is, of course, knowing the things that I know about film and filmmaking these days. Uh, early scene with the, the hitchhiker and the French horn. Um, mm. it, well, that, that's justifiable. <laughs> it's not the killing him. <laughs> it's the... Uh, it's the as we pan over to the uh, uh, to the scene of him beating his wife uh, mm-hmm. um, and the truck that says explosives on it. <laughs> <It's serious. laughs> I, I realize it's 1977, but it's like plot point, plot point, and it, yeah, it, that it, was... you're, you're three minutes into the film. Plot point. Yep. <laughs> that was uh, that was Chekhov's explosive expert there. Yeah. <laughs> If you show an explosive expert in the first act, you you have to have him blow something up in the third. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we haven't talked about much about the, the rest of the actual human the, stars of the film. Oh, there were human stars? <laughs> well, and that's kind of the thing is outside of James Brolin, there's not a lot of people. It's just a lot of character actors. Yes. Um, uh, this is almost TV movie, uh, like, actor list. <laughs> Interesting that you mentioned that as we get into the list, as I'm sure we're about to do. But yeah, if you go look, including the director, after this, most of them go on to TV acting. <laughs> the director was more of a TV director. He was. Uh, before he did this. He ended his career uh, doing films, uh, but he started out as a TV director, which is probably why what gives this sort of that uh, TV movie of the week kind of feel to it. I mean, it, this could be a lot gorier than it is, and it's not. I mean, honestly, what was edited out for television really didn't need to be. No, really, probably a matter of time. Oh, we need to wait. We need places to fit commercials, and I, you know, this can go, kind of thing. We already watched it kill three other people. What's another four? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. We've already already established that he's a killer. Yes. So we don't need to do anything else. Actually, yeah, you you cut out almost that entire chase scene. That's all your commercial breaks right there. Right. So that that's a pretty easy cut. Uh, so yeah, that's probably what gives it the sort of TV of the movie uh, feel and why it played so well on television, you know, for years later. But yeah, um, James Brolin and uh, and uh, what did I say? Uh, Ronnie Cox. Yes. The only two actors I recognize from anything else, I think. Although many of the other actors appeared in lots of shows that I watched, so I'm sure I saw them, but they were just guest star kind of uh, appearance things. Well, and yeah, in Kathleen Lloyd's case, I, I did recognize her from her laundry list of other things she did later. Um, right. But again, she just did character work in lots of TV right. shows. She appeared several times as the same character in Magnum P.I., you know, did the, the same character returning several times. She actually showed up in Babylon 5, apparently. She did, yes. In ER, and, and yeah, just all... Seventh Heaven. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, no, uh, and Ronnie Cox, uh, because I hadn't actually remembered him being in the film because it's been so long. Right. He was so much younger with the shaggy blonde hair and all that. I'm like, right. hey, weren't you Terminator or, or, uh, messing with uh, RoboCop? Yep, RoboCop. Uh, I think even wasn't he a, um, wasn't he in Next Gen? Of course he was. Um, Captain Jellico? Yep, Jellico, right, yep. What, wasn't he the main bad guy too in um um uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger one uh, Total Recall? Oh uh, no! No, no. Swear that was him. He was in Time Tracks. Is that what you're thinking of? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Hang on, I gotta check. What year was? Let's see. RoboCop was '87. When was Total Recall? 1990. Then he was not in Total Recall. Oh, he was in Total Recall. Cohagen. All right, you're right. Because it's his voice. Uh, I I can hear it in in the voice. I mean, not that you can't see it when you're looking at him, but, uh, I mean, he's got a distinctive voice, so. You know, if you're an X-Gen fan, you know him. Chain of Command was a very popular uh, two-parter episode of uh, Next Generation, so you'll recognize him there. Uh, You will recognize him from Total Recall, apparently, and RoboCop. And, yeah, lots of other television and film work uh, under his belt. Now, what I found interesting, uh, speaking of just watching the movies that come up on UHF channels, um, Elliot Silverstein, the director of this film, actually Uh directed one of the more memorable ones I saw back in the day, too, uh, uh, A Man Called Horse. Oh, yeah, okay. I've never seen it. You've never seen that? I I, I actually nope. really recommend that one. Um, All right, cool. Uh, At least not that I recall. That could be one of those films that I um, I saw once ages ago on Channel 19. <laughs> I just don't recall. <laughs> and, and that's when I recall seeing it. There, There's a lot about Indian culture and the white man and all of that and... Uh, and him crossing into that, it's a, uh, it's actually a very interesting story. Um, and oh, some of the, uh, some of the stuff that happened in it, uh, really stand out. And I thought that was very interesting that the, he was the director of that and the car. <laughs> interesting. Good. Yeah. Apparently he's uh, still with us too at the age of 92. Wow. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> Stay away from Corona. <laughs> yes, please do. Yeah, I think I was most surprised tuning into this and seeing the credit list, and it was kind of like, okay, James Brolin, yep, and then nope, nope, <laughs> nope, yeah. director, nope, yeah. nope. Oh, Ronnie Cox, I know Ronnie Cox, okay, <laughs> no, 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 and then the, nothing else. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Oddly enough, um, while watching the opening credits, too, Ronnie Cox like comes in at the last, like, like he's a name that they're putting out there didn't do great theatrically i couldn't find any um box office or anything listed anywhere but it was apparently pretty panned by uh, by critics uh citing a lot of poor dialogue and acting which i don't know i entirely agree with i thought it was passable uh maybe it was because it was on the big screen and like i said i think this would fit and be at home more on television Yes, and it had that feel. And, I mean, as we go through the laundry list of folks that all went on to TV careers either before or after or during, uh, it had that feel. Yeah, see, uh, Gene Siskel gave this film one star out of four. He says, what's worse than the rotten acting is that the car makes absolutely no sense as a story. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, <laughs> if you're gonna go for the story, um, yeah. Pandity said even more surprising is the poor quality of the film special effects, and definitely disagree with that. Yeah, because uh, I, I well, one it, one of the things that makes it awesome is the amount of lack of need for uh, special effects. Most of it's uh, about the car design, the stunt driving, um, and the setting, the tone. You let your imagination do the rest. But yeah, uh, special effects, other than how you handle all the dust and all that and uh, um, the the crazy explosion at the end where you play uh, the uh, Warshack test with the stuff coming up in the explosion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we talked, uh, James Brolin, uh, you definitely got to talk about him a little bit. I mean, he's been with us forever. Yes. Uh, going all the way back, probably the first thing I ever saw him in was probably Westworld. Yeah, no, he is just solidly act for decades. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, both film and television. Let's see, yeah, and also still with us. He was married to Jan Smithers. He's that lucky son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and he gave us Josh. <laughs> yeah, I think he was, you know, fine in this. I have to admit, this was a, definitely a, a role... Well, almost all the roles in this, you could have put just about anybody in it and it probably would have been about the same. Yeah. And, you know, the part of what I, I, why it got panned, but one of the things I actually kind of like about this is if you're going to go ahead and go with the whole idea that this is a thing that has just happened upon this town, we're just watching normal people go through their normal daily life and then a demon car shows up in their neighborhood for no apparent reason. That's a very good point. Everyone in here is very real. They're just townsfolk, and they come across as townsfolk. This would not have worked if this was Tom Selleck in the car. Wouldn't have come off the same way. That's part of what I think is the charm of it, is... Uh, you don't need a heavy presence. There's not a underlying thing. This is an absolutely terrible day in the life of ordinary people in a small town. You, know, you mentioned it earlier, and I wanted to make a point about it too, is you mentioned that there's no rhyme or reason to it. Mm -hmm. You don't know why this is happening. And I do actually kind of appreciate that. I, I think you know, 20 years later, if this film were made, or even 10 years later, uh, you'd have, you know, a bunch of teens were playing with a Ouija board in a garage and, you know, or something. Yes. I, they Some ridiculous and stupid excuse and reason would come up for why this is even happening. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this. There is apparently a quote-unquote sequel. The 2019 thing. <laughs> That's a, Yeah. I haven't what gotten around to watching that yet. <laughs> right. Uh, what was it? I saw it somewhere in here is the car road to revenge and it from what i read it's exactly that kind of thing where some custom car but it gets splashed by some gangster's blood or something like that and it goes on a rampage like oh god that sounds so sci-fi original bs <laughs> not to bring in a completely different set of films here but one of the things that sometimes i can appreciate like uh, and I don't know why I'm drawn to this analogy, but like the difference between the two were the world's films, the 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 original one, um, and then the Tom 
Cruise one from years ago. The first one, of course, set in the time that it is, uh, there's like hyper explanation of everything. They're learning things. They're teaching the audience as they go about Martians and the machines and all that. And while not a great film, the other one with Tom Cruise is taken from the perspective of the every man that just happens to be in here. We don't know what's going on. And the normal guy that's caught in the middle of this stuff isn't going to know what's going on in the moment. And that's what this town is. We don't know why this is happening. We don't know how this came to be. But they're just having to live with what's going on. And I kind of mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, me too. You know, the film, the first film that I thought of when this thing, the movie started and the way they filmed the car and the way they filmed some of the first kills, I was like, man, this is, this is land jaws. Yes. <laughs> yes. I saw your comment about that, but yes, it, it very much on, on par with that. I, I, right. It, it almost, uh, you could almost like, uh, draw an analogy shot for shot at the beginning between, uh, the woman just having a fun swim out in the ocean and Jaws comes up, takes her, and a little at a time at first, and mm-hmm. these two on bicycles, <laughs> and, yeah. and the car comes out of nowhere and just nibbles teases at them until they're gone. <laughs> yeah, and just teases them at first. Yes. And then before before knocking them off the road. Right. Yeah. No, it's definitely very much Jaws, and it's the same reason. Why is a shark doing it? Man, it's a shark. That's what it does. Well, right. in this case, why is this car doing it? Eh, because it's a demonic car. It's what it does. Because when George <laughs> Barris does that to a Lincoln, that's what happens. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. Yeah, I'm not completely convinced that they had a film idea and then went to Barris. I think Barris just tinkered, had this car, and they went, ah, oh, crap, now we got to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even better, George Barris tinkered, made that car, and he happened to be in Utah at the time, and they filmed a documentary. Based on true events. <laughs> and obviously, I think um, the film, Steven Spielberg's first uh, uh, directorial debut there, Duel, I think definitely played uh, yes. an influence. I mean, that's listed pretty much everywhere where you read about this, and it's like, yeah, that's pretty obvious as well. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, part of what draw, drew me to even thinking of doing this one again was uh, uh, the later film, Christine. Uh, the the Just that notion of one of our beloved inanimate objects just losing its mind and taking us all out. <laughs> right. Still an absolutely fun watch. Um, it's streaming just about anywhere that you, there's a streaming service, but it, you will have to pay for it for, you know, spend a few bucks to, to uh, stream it. Three ninety nine off of uh, prime I did. And uh, to see it in 4k quality, you had kind of mentioned it uh, in, in a post, I believe, but uh but one of the main characters in that is just the scenery, the backdrop of Utah. Yeah, that's one of the places I want to I, I want to visit, you know, and do that road trip kind of thing, and 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 drive through and drive through those roads and see that be be able to drive through those mountains and those see those cliffs and uh, wind my way up some bluff like that. I, absolutely, it's just amazing. And whoever owns a version of the car, if you could lend that to me so that I can make that trip, that would be yes. even better. God, please don't be behind me when I'm... <laughs> no, I need to know when you go so I can get the car. And be yes. 
please put the horn in too. It's in, it's key. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you brought this one up because it is one that uh, honestly, like like we were saying, it the imagery of this film has stuck with me all these years, mm-hmm. and so it's always just in the back of my mind thinking I should watch that again because I just it's always there and it always will be. I mean, it'll definitely be one. I think. I believe it is now available. It is available on Blu-ray with uh, the big 4K and there's special features and stuff. Gonna have to dig that one up and have that. It was nice watching it, streaming it in a nice, good quality view, having only seen it on television and VHS in the past. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah it, it really brings cool. out that uh, that backdrop of uh, of Utah. The beauty scenes of the car, the close-ups of the that you were talking about with the tires, watching the mm-hmm. tread, um, watching the police fire helplessly at this thing, and nothing happening to this car. Um, so, yeah, thanks for bringing us. And then I think we definitely have a couple more uh, shows to uh, in in the future based on this one alone. <laughs> Topics that have come up. Uh, including uh, Duel. I, that's one I've been meaning to watch again. I was actually going to even suggest it as the follow-up to this. Well, yeah. kind of like we had our our ship theme for a few a few weeks there. And yeah. We have kind of a demonic car theme. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I like about Duel is it's it's just it's just a mean truck driver. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And one of Spielberg's early films. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to do Duel, uh, I'm I'm completely up for Duel for next time. Then because I've been I've been meaning to to watch that for years, and I just have not. I just haven't done it. But I'm absolutely willing to do that. I think the, that's be the perfect follow up. That then I believe our audience knows what we're doing in two weeks. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Probably, I guess we're going the wrong direction. Duel came out in I think '71. We should have done that one first. <laughs> yeah, but see now now we we've got the tone and now we can go now we see all those influences from That's right. That's right. Now we'll yeah, we'll go back. We'll build, go back and pick out all the influences that went into the car. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, then that will do it the, this time. Uh as always, stay safe everybody. Go watch out some good films and let us know what you're watching. I haven't really mentioned that. You know, you guys have been watching anything that you uh, think is interesting. Uh, fire us a message. Uh, come on to the Facebook group or send us an email at timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com and let us know what uh, what you've been doing, especially with all this extra time at home. Uh, I'm guessing you're probably watching a few more films maybe. It might be something we might be interested in. So, uh, so drop us a line. Uh, Tom, thanks again. Thanks for suggesting this one. Happy to. This was fun. Fun watch and uh, enjoy talking about it. So that's going to do it. Uh, until next time when we talk about The Duel. Or actually, I'm sorry. It's, it's just, just duel. duel. It was The Car, <laughs> and it's just Duel. Uh, we'll talk to you next time, everybody. Bye. See ya.